The 237 Film School Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 237 Film School Podcast with me, Martin Law. My guest today is filmmaker Sean Astor Lewis, whose debut feature film, To Nowhere, is available to watch on Curzon Home Cinema. The film won Best Feature at the British Independent Film Festival and had a limited cinema release. To Nowhere explores vital questions of gender identity, sexuality and trauma and the film received a four-star review in The Guardian. So here is writer-director Sean Astor-Lewis. So Sean, your debut feature film To Nowhere got a four-star review in The Guardian. Congratulations. I mean, how big is that for getting the film out there into the world? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, for such a small film, that was we weren't expecting that. Um, and our, our press release was our press launch was kind of a huge part of our marketing because um, we had a very miniature release in London this summer. And yeah, and that was one of the ways to kind of spread the word about it. Amazing. So so what was involved in that press release, the marketing? Like, what did you have to do? So once you've finished the film and you've got it ready, what did you then do? What was the next step? I mean, it, it definitely wasn't um, a linear or easy um, process because we actually finished the film a few years ago and we did a year of festivals um mostly kind of indie film festivals which were really fun but it was during that covid era where we only i think we only ended up having one screening late 2021 so that was the first time that we'd kind of publicly released the film in that way so we decided to do this minor recap which turned into a bit of an ordeal so then jump forward a year year and a half we basically um we decided to kind of self-distribute the film, which obviously I'm sure we'll go more into later on. But yeah, we we worked with this um, with the, these publicists who essentially like reached out to a number of of journalists and critics that they felt you know would be able to give us a review and just spread the word. And yeah, I I mean I think that was a huge part of our marketing. I mean, that's the thing, like you said there, like once you've made the film, you're still kind of pushing it out there for years, aren't you? I mean, the fact that this was two years ago that you finished it. I mean, what have you been doing career wise? Like, to, you know, over the last two years, are you still working in like a regular job or a, or a different kind of line of work? And then you're still doing the film stuff like it's hard, isn't it, for people to support themselves? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think especially this kind of very late stage sort of finalising, you know, late post-production and then like this kind of really tricky um, self-distribution stuff is the point where all of that like burning passion and motivation can start to <laughs> wear a bit thin and, um, you know, because it's not like going on to set and there's so much exciting stuff happening you know, like five years after shooting, you still have to keep, you know, pushing forward. And yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, traditionally, I, I've done, an, I've, throughout all of this time of making films, I'm also working in hospitality. <laughs> so I'm working in pubs, 
mostly pubs, cafes, that kind of thing. Yeah, and just putting all of my my energy into my film or writing projects. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, like, obviously Twitter or any social media, you know, naturally, you know, people are calling themselves filmmakers or whatever. And they are like, as soon as you've made a film, you're a filmmaker, but it, it, it never really gives the full picture of what people are having to do, like having a, you know, a more regular job and supporting themselves. And obviously there's the the big issue with the industry that, you know, people from working class backgrounds don't have the time and money to be able to put their effort into films and stuff as well, you know. So just how hard has it been for you, like, to actually go from nothing to making this film? Oh, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I'd never, um, you know, I, I think it was, I think I just kind of knew that I had to do it. I, I mean, I, I do think for anyone thinking about making their own feature film independently, particularly, you, you really do have to, to ask yourself if it's something that you, you have to do. Because, you know, obviously you don't want to, you don't want to have regrets. You don't want to wish that you did something that, that you didn't, um, even if it's a risk. And I think I definitely got to a point where I was like, had to reconcile myself with the, with a few realities of, of doing this, you know? You know, number one, it might not be very good. Number two, maybe no one will ever see it. Um, <laughs> number three, maybe I'll never even quite manage to finish it. But just all, all these things. And ultimately, I just felt like, it, I really just, I don't know, I just had to do it. So that that motivation, yeah, it just sort of it made it happen, I think. And let's 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 go back to um, the early days for yourself. Obviously, you have made a few short films. So yeah. what what was the the thought process for you? Like, what was the turning point in your life where you thought, OK, now I do have to make this film independently? Like, where was the the turning point where you wrote this feature film and you know you've obviously got a producer on on board or you know talk through that process I, I i got into film when i was 17 and i mean i've been expelled from school a few times and i i really didn't have any more normal senses of you know a, a direction um in my young adult life and so I did get into film when I was 17. And I think from the beginning, I always kind of knew that I would have to go down this micro-budget indie path. Because I think when you when you go to film school, a lot of kids are saying, oh, I really want to make a film like Kubrick or Spielberg or whatever. And I I, I don't know, obviously I, these are amazing filmmakers, but I never, I always thought it's, I'm never going to get a budget like that. So I might as well just... Um, embrace that um, more DIY approach and I, I guess in the years after studying it, it did become clear that I was not gonna get any funding from anybody um, I mean even now it's very difficult but it's particularly back then I didn't really have a track record um, I can't say that I, I was great at writing or anything um, just you know in like a basic grammatical sense so, yeah, it, it honestly started from then. And every time I made a short, it was because I really wanted to kind of step up and make a feature. So, yeah, so it, in a way, it's been going on for, you know, I've had that goal since the very beginning. 
And what was your film education? You know, like, have you actually done a formal kind of film production, filmmaking degree or did you go to film school? And and if, if you know, if those are right, like was was there anything that really inspired you as a director from that? Or, do you, you know, because a lot of these courses up and down the country, you know, most universities run them. They're yeah. not exactly setting people up for a career in the industry, are they? So. <laughs> You know, how would you summarise your own education? So I ended up going to, um, well, I did a digital filmmaking degree, actually, um, at um, this uni called SAE, SAE Institute, um, which is mostly does audio engineering. And it was a two-year degree, and it was, <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty... I mean, you know, the funny thing is I, I didn't learn anything about how to direct or anything like that. Um, I guess I learned sort of what a director does. Um, but it was very practical and technical. And there was more about like kind of using After Effects programs and stuff. And I just, I don't know, I didn't have any interest in that. And I'm not very naturally drawn to stuff like that. So... I mean, yeah, obviously you have access to all this equipment, which is great, and and people. Um, but in that sense, I don't know if it was essential, to be honest, to my journey. Um, it was certainly an introduction. But then I actually went on to do a master's in, this, in script writing at, at Goldsmiths. And I, in a way, writing so different from directing, because it's so much... I, I do think it's something that you can benefit from being taught in in a more formal way maybe um so I I think even though it took me many years after that to kind of really put in a way you know have, you still have to carry on um learning and and finding your voice by yourself but but yeah so so I did end up having going to these higher education courses and with the screenwriting degree uh, masters, the the scriptwriting masters, you know, like at that point, how much were you kind of thinking of ideas that have then ended up going into something like to nowhere? Um, you know what's funny, um, I I did start that course with this this really this concept which has evolved so much, but it did revolve around these two characters. And those are still the, those are the characters of Tulip and Finn who who appear in To Nowhere. Um, so they've I did actually try quite reimagining this dynamic and story. I'm not dynamic, sorry, but I tried reimagining um, their story many times over the years. And then To Nowhere was the final place that um, that was right. So. So yeah, it's quite nice that um, even when I started my masters, I was almost you could say I was sort of trying to write this script. Yeah, and so obviously we've kind of covered a little bit, but like, what was that defining moment where you then had the script, or or before you had even written the feature script for To Nowhere, where you'd thought, okay, I'm going to make this, and my options are crowdfunding or whatever. Like, was there something? Was the meeting someone or? What was that moment where you realised completely this is going to have to be made by me independently 
obviously I'm going to have to raise as much money as I can, but I'm going to produce it no matter what. I mean, I, I think in the years after my master's, um, they were quite kind of tough and um, a bit disheartening, you know, because, um, yeah, just not, not much happens. And I, I wasn't, I, I think I actually ended up taking about a year off or maybe not even quite a year, but that's the longest I've ever taken off kind of script writing and filmmaking. And I think a lot of people go through this, but I was having that moment where I was really weighing it up, thinking, can I actually do this? Do I really want to do this? And in the end, I, I yeah, it's a bit vague. It was quite internal, but I think it was a lot of soul searching and I mean, genuinely sleepless nights thinking like I really need, I'm at a crossroad and I need to kind of work it out. And I, I don't know, it was more, it was quite intangible, but I just felt like I will absolutely kick myself if I don't just try. And and also, in a way, I I also had this realisation that, you know, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out, like it's not the end of the world. But I think maybe taking off that pressure allowed me to to go for it um, because, yeah, I just sort of realised that it, it's better to try than, than not, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, like during the, the writing process then, were you always aware of, of budget restrictions and, you know, when you're writing a scene and it's it's got X number of people in it, extras, you know, locations was that something that you were always aware of as you was writing like that you need to cut it down or you know merge characters or things like that because obviously you know to nowhere in many ways is very simple isn't it you know it sets over one day mm. and you know only a small number of characters really so was that all intentional yes definitely <laughs> i i 100 did write a script that would not be very expensive um I mean, yeah, and I, I think I did incorporate a lot of quite like easily naturally accessible places that had, you know, a lot of cinematic potential. Um, you know, I, I had locations and sometimes, you know, actors in mind. Um, but I mean, in a way, I do because I do think a lot of these. Of course, a lot of great micro-budget films are set in literally like one room or a couple of rooms, basically. But we did somehow manage to create quite like a relatively expansive world, obviously within this quite kind of simple journey. Um, yeah, and I, I suppose... I did write it with kind of resources in mind, um, with all sorts of things. I was always thinking like, what can I, do I have like a friend I can borrow this prop from or, you know, that, that sort of thing. And even, even once you've, you've thought about that, I, I'm guessing, you know, from even my own experience, like you still don't fully know how much things are going to cost, do you, to, to make. So what was then the next stages for you once you had this finished script? And you thought, right, I'm going to make this now. So where did any funding come from? What was all of that process like for you? 
I mean, you know, inevitably I was very naive going into all of this. And I, I didn't really have a concept about budget and what, yeah, like you said, realistically, how much various things will cost. <clears throat> and, I, and I had a little, a lot, I did chat to a lot of people and a lot of people came back to me and they would often say, you know, you want at least like 250K, maybe 500. And obviously at the time I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that. Um, I'll apply to the, the BFI <laughs> film funds and um, but I do yeah as I think over the course of a year or so um, it became clear that that just wasn't going to happen and I mean I guess what's interesting is that I did actually the, the script started out um, as a more of a kind of multi-plot story and then at that point that I realized that it was actually going to be a really shoestring budget that I, I totally like condensed the story down just to this one narrative um and so you know once once we realized that we had to kind of do it on our own we essentially did a number of like crowdfunding campaigns um and I put any money I could into it as well, um, which, yeah, I mean, I think we managed to put together enough to, to shoot the film. Um, but then we had to kind of raise more for post-production. And yeah, so that it was, um, it was a messy and um, ongoing process of, of raising funds. And, um, you know, the final budget was 27 thousand pounds you know but the, the thing is that's a very small budget for a film but it's so much money to put together you know it was it was so hot it was such a slog and I do sometimes hear about people who have made micro budget films and they've just sort of had the whole thing funded at once by some anonymous person which is amazing and obviously if somebody is able to do that go for it but it was it was an absolute slog um, but it is possible. And I think crowdfunding ended up being a completely invaluable tool. Yeah, you mentioned that you did several rounds of crowdfunding. So obviously you mentioned like you needed to raise more money for the post-production. So in terms of making the film, mm. what was the what was the production budget? And, you know, did you know at that point that you would then still need to raise extra funds afterwards. Like, was that an actual conscious choice? Because I personally got mixed feelings about crowdfunding and I've heard different things. Like some people have said that with crowdfunding, really the people donating are friends and family. So when you actually take into account the fees and things, it's better just to get that directly from them. Like, was there, was there a lot of interest in the film from just random people? And, and what was that like? The shooting budget was 20, about 20,000 pounds. And I absolutely knew that we would have to raise a lot more for post-production. I mean, actually, that 20-ish thousand pounds, that did also cover um, the edit, actually. So I, I knew that we'd have a little bit of time to kind of consider how we were going to raise the, the rest of the post money. And then in terms of crowdfunding, I mean, you know, of course, we did a few applications to funding schemes 
and we didn't get them. So it was it was essential. And it that was probably one of the toughest parts of the process. We we worked with this amazing crowdfunding platform called Greenlit. And I would highly recommend anyone thinking of doing crowdfunding to work with Greenlit because they they nurture you through the whole process. And I mean, you know, if we'd done it on one of these bigger platforms, I really I'm not sure we would have actually raised the the cash that we needed to. Um, and they they nurture you through the whole process. They're very uh, attentive and really supportive. And I think it's definitely possible to expand beyond your your network of friends and family. But again, it's it's just it's a it's a real slog. But it pretty much comes down to like reaching out to as many people as you can, <laughs> and you might get really lucky, and somebody wants to, wants to also be you know an executive producer, and you know be really supportive of your project and give a significant amount. Um, so yeah, it was it was really valuable for us. So you, you mentioned greenlit, and I did see see greenlit. Once the campaign's ended, you can't you can click on the link still, but then it doesn't show anything. Whereas some of the other ones still show you the original campaign and how it looked. Whereas greenlit kind of closes it and archives it. So I wasn't sure which campaign that was that you did for greenlit. So did you use greenlit more than once, or did you actually use different platforms for the different stages when you needed to raise more money? So, um, I mean, I think Greenlit's a relatively new uh, platform and I I did use it twice. Um, And I think, I I mean, going back several years now, I think we might have used Indiegogo or something originally. But I mean, you know, it is also the the tool of social media, which is really valuable for us. And... You know, to be honest, I, I I really didn't use social media before, um, but it is a great way of of spreading the content of your film and and it, I think the key thing is that we were in a lucky position because we'd already shot the film, so we had a lot of footage and stills and behind the scenes images to share, which I, I do think helped helped a lot with them. Um, um, you know, showing showing people that we had we come so far, and we needed support to just go that step further. Yeah, it's, it's one of those where, like, obviously, when when I see the credits, the executive producers, like, that's a, a term obviously synonymous with people who have put in some of the funding. So, were they were some of those executive producers strangers then who have just seen the the crowd, you know, the crowdfunder and seen parts of the film that you've put on there and thought, yep, yeah, I want my name attached to that project. Yes, yeah. Um, we we got support, like a, a huge amount of support, which we're so grateful for. From um, yeah, from people that we just reached out to on on social media or something like that. And they, I guess, something about the the story um, kind of grabs them. And yeah, so I mean, there's I think there's a lot of people out there. And you know, if if someone has got an interesting concept or you know, a really nicely shot film, that there are going to be people out there who 
who who want to support it who who don't necessarily know personally would you say it is easier to get crowdfunding once it has been shot for those reasons you've just said like if they can see the footage the stills behind the scenes and they think actually this has got potential to go far like that's easier for people to then donate to than than something where you're saying this is what we're going to do I mean I think when with crowdfunding a lot of it's about you as a filmmaker and your team um and that's one of the things that people want to see they they I know lots of people hate it and I did when I first started doing it but people want to see like an interview of of the filmmakers talking about how passionate they are and you know, obviously any clips from previous work. But, I mean, I would also say if somebody really wants to make a low-budget film, then the shooting is probably the thing that you can get away with doing on the smallest budgets, whereas the post-production is the thing, is the part of it where, realistically, you are definitely, that there's certain non-negotiable costs that you're going to probably face, or that's certainly what I found. So, yeah, so maybe that's maybe that kind of works out with the crowdfunding ethos in a way that once you have your footage, then that's when you really can raise that extra money for for post, if that makes sense. Yeah, like you mentioned, the, the post-production is so important and it's the deliverables, isn't it, that, that festivals and, and any sort of distributor would, would want and, and the quality needs to be at a certain standard. So, I mean... Breaking down that 20,000 from the production budget that you used to shoot with, how many days shoot was this? Because obviously it's set over the one day. Yeah. And, and, and how, because when I looked at the, the credit list, there was quite a few names on there, really. So I was thinking, oh, I wonder how, mm-hmm. how you have done it to kind of keep the budget down. Like, were people all, you know, was everyone paid and, and, and that kind of thing? Was it all just a lot of it done for kind of low rates and things? Um, okay, so we shot over, I think it was, it, well, it was two weeks. I mean, amazingly, I don't remember it feeling, like, of course, it was really intense, but I don't remember it feeling, you know, maybe I was just um, on this kind of high because I was so excited. But it felt manageable, the the days that we were doing. I mean, of course, it was exhausting. But what I'm trying to say is somehow it didn't feel crazy rushed those two weeks which is obviously not that long especially considering that there are you know a few locations obviously um so I think one of the the key things is that a lot of people we are working with really wanted to make their first feature um I don't I don't think there's honestly many people from the production crew who had done a feature before so I think it it was a it was it was one of those kind of good for the experience or at the very least good for the CV kind of opportunities for a lot of people um and you know to be honest unfortunately you just can't make a film for this much money kind of paying everybody industry rates but yeah, obviously, that's really not ideal. But I mean, there's certain basic things, which, of course, you have to cover, which is travel and catering. And yeah, so I mean, honestly, we were so, so lucky to get 
so many like very very committed people who put in so much time and effort and passion across those two weeks and um, I'm so grateful for that and we we absolutely couldn't have done it without them and yeah so we, we did have to obviously negotiate rates um, with each with each person but you know I think a lot of people are just not long since graduated from uni or it was their first kind of significant job on a film and I guess you know we just sort of managed to to, to gather this this group of people who who got excited about this idea of spending two weeks shooting this kind of strange like dark film together yeah so obviously you've um you've got a casting director for for the film as well who yeah. obviously has got you know most casting directors seem to have big followings on twitter don't they because you know all the actors are following them and stuff so how important was that like finding a casting director who can get access to these these actors for you rather than kind of trying to go down the route of say mandy.com or these other kind of websites where you can find actors directly yourself so how how important was heather to to finding the actors and, to, and what was her contribution to the casting well that's a really interesting question because obviously it depends what film you're making but this is a character driven drama i think it works because it has an excellent cast you know it doesn't have money for other things but it's got this talented cast at the heart of it and yeah I mean working with Heather was that that was honestly one of the things where I which which was non-negotiable for me in terms of you know putting in fees like I, I would rather spend like a few thousand pounds working with a casting director and you know, shoot it on a phone or something. Um, like for, for me, it, it, the cast is everything. So I think you have to be wise where you're spending your money when you're making a film like this, because so, some, so many things you can get for free or, you know, borrow or whatever. But that I think that's the one thing which, which is worth kind of spending that bit extra on. Yeah, I mean, again, like with, with making a film so independently like this i mean you know the term you've used is micro budget and a few years ago it was the the film london microwave scheme and that was a hundred thousand pound budget so micro budget was like a hundred thousand pounds so you know i'm proposing nano budget because it's even smaller isn't it you know and and again when you mention industry rates when you look at kind of back to rates and these different industry rates quite often they lump budgets together so anything say under a million pounds is is a certain rate but I mean a budget of a million pounds and a budget of twenty thousand pounds you can't do it can you so you literally could not have made this film with everyone doing their usual industry rates and and so on there's a lot of hustling involved isn't there and you've got to have that producing mindset even as the director yeah absolutely yeah obviously I would have absolutely loved to you know pay everyone fairly and had a lot of guilt about not being able to but I just wouldn't have been able to make it um if I had unfortunately and I'm really interested in this side of filmmaking in terms of how budget impacts creativity so again because you're having to do all of this you know you're having to work through the script and see what can be shot and what can't be shot you know how much do you think the film changed from say 
not even the first draft, but maybe like the second draft of the script to what we what we can see now? I mean, once once I'd cut out this sort of complex web of uh, interlocking stories in this multi-plot version of the script, I basically kind of pulled out all of the scenes with Tulip and Finn and Stanley and kind of, you know, like wove them all together into this one day, quite simple structure, or not not simple structure, but kind of, um, you know, it, it's quite it's quite has a quite slice of life feel to it, and I don't think it changed that much because these are two characters that I've been trying to develop for a long time, and so I knew the characters very well, and I think it was just kind of getting to the core of what this story had to be about and I, and I think now I struggle to write things where I'm not imagining that it's gonna have to be on a nano budget um I think I'd really struggle to write something which could be you know made for a million <laughs> yeah I mean that's the thing isn't it once you've made a film for this type of budget like is it something that you would be happy to do again or do you kind of think this now is something that you're able to show to some of the funding organizations or bigger producers and say look this is what I'm capable of, capable of I now need x amount more there, there's various reasons to make your a first film like this and of course the biggest thing is the fact that this is um the this is your portfolio you can you can show what what you're able to do but then there's also of course a, a creative and artistic side to it and I did, I loved the freedom of it. Um, it was, it's really hard to describe how liberating it was to not have anybody saying to me, like, you know, that that shot's too long or that bit, whatever, um, needs to change. It was, yeah, it was, it was the most incredible experience of, like, artistic um creativity but <laughs> i i'm not sure i could make a film for 27k again um because it was very it was taxing you know i can't lie that it did obviously affect every part of my life because you, you have to be a little bit obsessive to make to do to do that and there was a lot of you know very late nights and insane amounts of stress at certain points but I mean I, I would I mean I you know I would absolutely love to make an actual micro budget film <laughs> um and yeah I think you know ho hopefully this will kind of help um yeah just make it a bit easier next time should we say <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, the main thing really is when you're making something for such little money, you personally are not actually getting anything. You're not getting paid for your time. So it's like, you know, when you're making a film for a couple of million pounds, then everyone is getting paid their rates, including the, the director, the writer. So, yeah, it's it's very different, isn't it, when you're doing something completely independently like this. But it But it is that calling card. Like, were you expecting it to screen at the cinemas for example you know what what was that like for you I mean I I didn't know what to expect I mean obviously I hoped but I guess I didn't really expect it and it was 
yeah, it, it was amazing. I mean, it was it was a wonderful outcome to so many years of incredibly hard work and you know quite bleak moments sometimes um yeah it was it was so satisfying I'm still like trying to get my head around it so what was the process so when when the film was finished I think you mentioned late 2021 Mm -hmm. did you then target certain film festivals and, and what was the next stages that then led the film to be screened at the cinema so we did God, it took a while, but we we did start by reaching out to various um, distributors and sales agents. But I think it's a really, really hard time to get picked up with this kind of film. I mean, if it was, obviously, it was always hard. I think maybe right now it's so hard. And it didn't really look like much was going to come out of it, unfortunately. And I mean, to be honest... Yeah, we were quite inspired by Marcus because, yeah, he's got a very um, DIY kind of approach to distribution. Yeah, so Marcus Marcou, writer, director, producer. You, did you meet him at a film festival? Is that where you first got in touch with Marcus? So me and Marcus, actually, we met at, a, we were doing a panel together. Um, we were speaking on a panel together with at a Greenlit event. And it was about micro-budget filmmaking. Um, and then me and Marcus kept in touch. And, um, yeah, I mean, myself and um, producer Finbar Summers have, yeah, we were very inspired by Marcus. And it, it's quite a kind of empowering um, philosophy because, yeah, you, ju- you I mean, we essentially wrote to all the indie cinemas that we could in London and yeah, we ended up screening at the Curzon Soho and the Rio in Dalston. We essentially got booked by by those cinemas. It was amazing. I mean, you know, especially you obviously with any creative um, pursuit, just the amount of knocks that you have to take um, over the years is, you know, it can it can make you quite depressed sometimes. <laughs> so those moments of success are just so um, invaluable. And we're also streaming on Curzon Home Cinema, which is amazing. Um, I, I mean, it's such an incredible place for To Nowhere to, to be available. Um, and yeah, so I'm I'm just I'm so happy that it's it's out there in the world and it's reaching an audience and I really hope that um there might be some kind of small word of mouth growth of the audience there. There are so many film festivals in the world now, aren't there? And obviously, you know, some of them are very big in terms of everyone has heard of them. You know, there are some smaller film festivals that are still, say, BIFA qualifying or BAFTA qualifying that, say, the average Joe might not have heard of. So I would like to know just how many festivals you submitted the film to and, you know, what the kind of success rate was. Because I know on Film Freeway it tells you, doesn't it, it gives you a percentage and all that kind of thing. You know, were the specific film festivals that you were really hoping to get into that unfortunately, you know, didn't select your film? So in terms of festivals and, you know, the projects that we, that, you know, that we are, if going back, I don't know if I would have 
I would have uh, applied to any festivals, to be honest. I mean, the ones that we did, we were part of, were these really lovely indie festivals. Um, and, you know, they, they we, we won um, various awards and that obviously all of that is, you know, it's nice to collect some laurels and, you know, you definitely meet some interesting people and you have a little bit of exposure. But just in terms of how much it costs to apply to, you know, you, if you you do end up spending kind of hundreds of pounds um, applying to festivals and a lot of them, obviously, you don't get into. So, yeah, and I think with a film like this, you could argue that a lot of the audience who you want to connect to are seeing it at these festivals. Um, so it is a, you do have to weigh up, you know, the prestige of screening in festivals and getting laurels and winning categories and the sort of having a more exclusive um, launch where, you know, more people will, will be seeing it for the first time. And just in terms of that level of cost that it, it ends up being, you know, instead you could put that into working with publicists who yeah I don't know it's it's a thoughts I don't it's it's something which yeah I'm not sure how much it helped us to be honest yeah no that's really interesting I mean short films more so there's so many festivals for short films nowadays and and yeah like you know you're entering tens twenty festivals and you've, you've rocked up hundreds of pounds there and it and it is like, what is that actually achieving? Like, who is going to be seeing your film or what can happen from it? So with, with just to kind of clarify then your process, you've made the film, you've entered it into some festivals. Yeah. You've then gone to the publicists and the cinemas and you've got that selection there. And is that when you've had the reviews from like The Guardian, for example? Yeah, so that was um, during our um, our launch um, at um, yeah. So our premiere was at the Curzon Soho, and so that's when we um, were working with publicists and getting reviews at that point. Yeah, so not not during the festival phase, which was actually a couple of years before that. Yeah, because festivals as well, they sometimes have. Sp- you know they, they specify when the film needs to have been made by you know mm-hmm. you can't keep just submitting a film to a festival years later but at the same time a lot of these festivals they ask for a lot of stuff don't they such as a poster so if you had a review from the guardian on the poster at that point do yeah. you think it might have actually got into more or like you know some of the more international ones sundance and so on i mean i don't know but i don't think so <laughs> um i'm not sure that a film this small made by, um, you know, a first time director would maybe ever get into a major festival. Yeah, no, there's definitely um, a trend, isn't there? There's definitely, you know, you see the same directors going to the same festivals, you know, like Ken Loach pretty much is nominated for the Palm d'Or for any film he makes, you know, it's like once you once you're in there, you're in there. And it's like, how do you break in when you are? A first-time filmmaker so do you think now that the route you've taken is the route that most people would have to take if they, if they want to get into this if they want to be making their own films I think so I mean I got to the point where 
I just kind of felt like I can't wait around forever. Like I need to make my film now. And, you know, that, that obviously still took several years, but I think I would still be, if I'd tried to go down a more conventional route, um, I would probably still be waiting for that funding to come from the BFI. And I'm sure I wouldn't have made a film yet. So this is much more empowering. I mean, it's it's so difficult, but um, it does give you a little bit of, maybe a little bit of control in an industry which is so kind of vast and impenetrable and, you know, and I, I do think that is, it can feel depressing to be on the outside of it, but that that's why I'm personally all for this kind of DIY um, indie filmmaking where it's, it's not easy, but if you, if you want to do it enough, I think, you know, you can find a way and you've got to find the right people as well who've got the same philosophy and there's so many people out there actually who do want to do that and it's yeah I'm I'm really glad that I've I've done it this way and obviously the the key thing there was finding the right people the right collaborators so you've obviously written and directed the film sounds like you have done some of the producing as well but you've also got Georgia Hurt and Finbar Sommers as the producers so how well did you know them before like what was what was the stage where they've come on board or how did that all develop yeah I mean you do end up doing a lot of producing um as a director of this kind of film so Georgia came on board actually at a later point around the sort of post-production so she really helped me raise this you know do these crowdfunding campaigns um and then Finbar actually came on even later than that, and he really stepped in with all of the um, distribution pursuits. Right. So for the actual production, these two people weren't actually involved. Yeah, no, that's right. They they only came on board a bit later. Wow. So from that point of view, because you were the producer then, so the crew was even smaller at that point. So again, it's like when you when you start looking through the credits at the end, you you know, as a viewer, you think, okay, all these people have worked on it. But actually, a lot of the names were in that additional probably £7,000, you know, the additional post-production to then take your work to the next level. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, the the situation before they came on board, I don't want to say I was the only producer. Um, I was working with another producer. Yeah, basically, there was another producer who who actually unfortunately ended up s- stealing some of the budget. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> yeah, so they, as I'm sure you can imagine, <laughs> lost their credit. And yeah, are not obviously I'm not in touch with them anymore. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's how we can explain that gap of producer between. <laughs> That's, no, that's that's crazy, because like we've already discussed, how much time, effort, stress goes into this. So for something like that to happen as well, and the fact that you've come out on the other side and, you know, you've had it released by Curzon and you've had a four star review in The Guardian, like this really shows such amazing talent and resilience from you. Like, you know, you should be very proud. Thank you. Yeah, that, there was a pretty 
that was a pretty dark time. Um, and it, it hit just during the first COVID lockdown. But yeah, that was obviously awful. And, you know, to anyone thinking about making a, a film in this way, however much you do think you know and trust someone, just be just make sure that you're very careful about having a shared accounts and that you have access, mutual access to the funds and um, you have, you know, legitimate contracts. All that kind of stuff is very, very important. So was this a person that you knew beforehand or was it someone that you've kind of got in touch with when you after you've written scripts and stuff? Because obviously, you know, it sounds horrible and horrific what's happened to you. But I am curious to know if it was someone that you actually knew. I mean, it was someone I met online. Um, most people I I worked with on this, on To Know Where, yeah, I, I just met online. And um, I, I can't really think of many people that I kind of brought forward from previous projects. I, I mean, some people were recommended via word of mouth, you know, suggestions. But, um, and I also met Georgia and Finbar online. And um, I think these days, I find just all the film networking Facebook groups are the best way to meet people, um, you know, for free instead of paying for the subscription to one of these other ones. Um, yeah, so um, the internet's been <laughs> quite a good um, recruiting tool as well, definitely. Yeah, I mean, again, though, like you said, you have got to be careful, haven't you? Because a lot of people do present themselves online in a very different way than than what's reality you know i do find it strange that there are so many people on twitter and stuff who have like film producer or whatever in their bio and in reality they're not you know and, that, and that's why i was kind of asking you before about obviously you know are you still working a regular job and hospitality and stuff because that is normal like most people are doing that but you wouldn't know that from their twitter feeds you know i know i do think i do think for any you know like young filmmakers who have just graduated or whatever I think maybe just knowing from the beginning that you know you're likely to have two kind of careers um I mean obviously lots of filmmakers do earn a living in the industry one way or another you know whether they're like working um for like corporate product videos or um commercials or various things obviously but the chances are that you're, yeah, for, for a long time, you're going to have whatever you're earning a living by and then plus your artistic stuff. And it's, yeah, it, it's a balance. And you, there's probably something in life that you have to make a bit of a sacrifice for. I mean, I think, yeah, whether it's kind of maybe you're socialising a little bit less or I'm trying to think of something else. That sounds really negative. I mean, obviously, it's important. <laughs> It's obviously, you know, so important to um, to stay kind of connected with people. But, you know, let's say if you're like maybe going to go out twice at the weekend, maybe one time you you instead you stay home and you write or whatever, if you know what I mean. Like there's there's going to be something in your life which has to give a little bit in order to balance. But it's very rewarding if if you're if you're taking that risk. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there, like, people in, in the industry, like, in the UK, we don't really have a film industry, you know. We talked about the BFI, Film 4, BBC Films, kind of fun films, but it's not really that many each year. So TV 
is a bigger industry. And then obviously you've got commercials, music videos. So a lot of people, a lot of craftspeople, cinematographers work across those. So I am curious to know what your plans are now. I mean, obviously you've had this film that's that's done well, very well for the budget and, you know, a four star review from The Guardian. So what is next for you in your career and, and what are you hoping to achieve, say, in the next few years? I, I would absolutely love to make another film. I mean, it's it's been such a long process to finalise to know where and get it out there. And I I therefore haven't done all that much kind of hands-on filmmaking in that time. And so I, I would just love to make another film. And I, I there's so many people I worked with on To Nowhere who I could not have done it without. And I, I know the people and they know who they are, who I will be straight away asking, asking them to work with me when I'm ready to go. And yeah, obviously, you know, I'm ambitious. I want to kind of push it further. If I manage to achieve to nowhere with that budget, I would absolutely love to just see what, you know, how I, how can I push things further? How can I, you know, take my writing deeper, just all of that stuff. So I think, yeah, at the moment, I am, I'm still kind of pursuing it from a very kind of artistic perspective. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And because obviously there is that, you know, like you said, the fine line between artistic and you've got to have that business brain and stuff. I mean, off the back of this film, has anybody approached you or or have you approached any any agents, for example, or anything like that? Because, you know, again, from from the podcast, from people I've spoken to, agents do help with a lot of things. So do you now have an agent for your directing? I I don't have an agent. I mean, I have been contacted by a few production companies and um, producers, um, you know, who just sort of want to check in and see what I'm up to next, that kind of thing. Um, I'm also, I also write kind of prose short stories and, you know, I'm kind of looking into some publications with that. So, yeah, so I think just various things. Um, I'm not quite, yeah, I haven't got an agent right now. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still completely by myself, independent. Um, but I, I, I'm sure that lots of positive things will come out of this journey. And and even just kind of getting getting people on board for my next project, I'm sure that I'll find it a lot easier because, you know, five years back, I I was, you know, I was just someone who wanted to kind of make a, a feature film and managed to talk lots of people into coming on board. And so now hopefully it'll be more, um, you know, people will feel like they they can trust that um, I've, you know, I'm going to put a lot of work into making as good a film as I possibly can. Sean Astor-Lewis, thank you very much. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. The 237 Film School Podcast. I would say with casting directors, find people who have been assistants to like, you know, big, bigger casting directors because they'll have the contacts, but then they might like want the credit of their first feature film or like, you know, trying to build up their portfolio a bit of their own work as like the lead casting director. That's kind of how I found Heather. And I think she's 
pretty successful now. I think I was lucky to work with her at that point, yeah. 